So, hello everybody and welcome back to Folk on Falcons. I'm Philip Mundy and joining me is... Ian Joseph. As always, you can find us on social media. So, on Facebook, if you type in Folk on Falcons, you'll see our little pic. And on Twitter, it's at Folk on Falcons. Lovely. So, once again, we're talking about a defeat this week, but it was actually one of the, the more strange defeats that we've had. And I think we actually played with a better team for a good 55, 60 minutes of the game. And... I think we were quite unfortunate to lose by the point in the end, but we got two bonus points, so not all doom and gloom. But I think once again, it's just a case of having to play for the full match, not just big chunks of it. Yeah, well, that's exactly isn't it? Um, a bit similar to Saracens a week before, where poor start to the game, a slow start, and then gifted a couple of easy tries from that point on when we're chasing the game. And, you know, if you're already chasing the game a couple of tries down, especially away to a, a team like Northampton, you have to be pretty much spot on for the rest of the game of course we weren't we had that period where we went down to 13 there's a period after that where you know again we weren't great and Northampton broke away again um and we just made it difficult for ourselves and if we hadn't then on another day you know we could have won I mean of course circumstances could be could have been different but you know I think if we take a step back I think if everyone else will do the same two points coming away from Northampton is certainly not to be sniffed down. I think you know, that's actually a pretty good result. We start off the game, or before the game started, we had a, a much-changed squad. Um, I think there were eight people that started the previous match that weren't playing, so you think, oh, what's this outfit going to be like today? But I actually think that did no disservice to themselves. It's quite a makeshift back row. Um, centres who haven't been paired up in quite a while. But I think that they actually gave a pretty good account of themselves on the whole. And I'd say that the the issues with the not coming out firing, it was a team issue, not individual errors that were really the main cause. Obviously, there's a, a couple of kicks that went straight as touch, et cetera, or aimless box kicks at times. But on the whole, it was just kind of team not thinking coherently. And I, I know you, you're the one who does the social media side of things. You've got something to report on our Argentines. Well, yeah, for those who are really trendy like me and have Instagram, uh, I guess a few questions raised about why our Argentinian centres were suddenly unavailable. Uh, so um, following Maroni's Instagram, uh, and you can see he's having a lovely time with his family in Brazil. So uh, presumably, unless he's sort of absconded, I think presumably... Uh, the two Argentine centers have been given time off because obviously they came straight into the into the squad after you know after the the rugby championship. So I guess they're probably due to some time off, and it's so happens it's then. Um, I don't know. I mean, they the may be back uh, for our game against Baffle. We'll have to see. But after I mean, my heart did sink a little bit. I think. I think a lot of other fans probably would hold their hands up and fought the same when they saw that team. But as you say, they didn't do any disservices to themselves. And in terms of the slow start, it could well be a fact that these players who did start haven't been playing a lot together recently. And it does take a bit of time. And when you are away to such a good team, then it, these, you know, it can take time to kind of click in your opening the deep end a bit. But once they got our start out of the way, as, as you say, they didn't do any sort of disservices to, to themselves. But yeah, well, I suppose we'll have to see what, what happens going forward with team selection. Was it a case we have got some injuries or was it just purely rotation, as I suppose you have to do? And yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens with that. Yeah, I think, that, like I say, no one did disservice themselves. I think Lockwood um, played extremely well. And I think that probably Jersey would be absolutely gutted that he's come back from his loan spell there and been recalled because... Let's put it this way. I can't see us sending him back out there on the next flight to Jersey. Um, I think we're going to be holding on to him like gold dust because he's looks like he's developing once, well, we knew it last season, but he's continuing developing into a really good player. Um, the match itself was a bit funny. We were wearing a 
a contrived strip where we had last season's away shorts, so you could see the little flex on it. But apparently it's because it clashed with London Irish's uh, strip. But I was assumed in rugby that it was the home team that changed strip, not the away team. But I don't know. There you are. Yeah, I had you know the little bit, little red and black bits on, didn't they? It was a giveaway. But uh, actually, I actually quite liked it in a way. I thought it was quite makes a bit of a change. Have the, the black and white, more of an obvious black and white goes with the more white bits on the home shirt. But uh, yeah, uh, but I think also it's worth noting. Of course, made his Premiership debut was Matthew Dalton. I thought he put in a good performance. Uh, was solid. Made a couple of really good runs, and of course that one in particular, which Radran was just you know out of touch, uh, into touch rather for that one. And I'm I'm pleased actually he's had a bit of a run out. I don't know if he's just been a case of players have been picked ahead of him or injuries or both or whatever. But I'm pleased to actually see him get a bit of game time because um, when they signed him, I think he looked those. Bit of buzz, a bit of promise about him. Um, and I saw a couple of games, one was a pre-season one, and he looked really good. And I was sort of wondering, well, we've got this decent looking second row, he never seems to get much game time. But I'm pleased that he did get a game and he looked pretty good. And I think it shows that in many ways we do have quite a strong well, strength and depth in, in the second row. Yeah, if we if we talk about the we mentioned the the change team and on the whole, it was okay. I think one area which I think we'll give them the benefit of the doubt was lineouts. Um, we've actually got quite high stands, I think, with McGuigan's throwing in. It's normally pretty pinpoint, but there was a few this weekend where I think it didn't quite click. We missed it or went over the top of everybody and things. And I think I'll put it down to they haven't necessarily played with each other in match intensity much. Um, but I'd certainly hope that if we had our starting pack, the lineouts would be a little bit better. But I think if we move, move on to the game and get by the fact that we had a bit of a slow start and two tries down within the early part of the match. Um, we showed great spirit and resilience to get two tries in before half-time, Penny grabbing his brace. Um, it, it wasn't like we cut through them, although at times uh, Carrera showed glimpses of what he did in the second half. But um, a lot of it was just good phase playing, going through it and running hard and not being pre- as predictable as perhaps we sometimes are. Well, we've said it a few times already this season that we are showing already this season that we can score tries. Uh, that doesn't seem to be a problem for us so much anymore. Uh, I and mean, we've always been very good you know, in the, the driving mall, you know, McGuigan special, but it, it was nice to see Penny sort of cut through a couple of times. Um, nice to also see that Carreras, of course, has really come to the fore this season. Radwan hasn't got into it as probably as we expect or would have liked, but Carreras certainly stepped up. And if you've got a player like that, you'd obviously just find gaps. And yeah, we know that I think that perhaps... I don't know if Ryan's rather slightly quick off the mark, but Carraz is slightly different with perhaps a lower centre of gravity, a bit more jinxy. Um, it's never obviously a really good option on the wing, and arguably, if not one of the four wingers, the four wingers in the league. But you're right in that we're, we are, we do seem to be scoring a greater variety of tries, and I think we do look a bit more clinical, actually. And I think obviously, obviously that's really important because you're scoring more tries. But I think from a mindset point of view, you know, if you if if the opposition know that you can score a try either at any moment, like a Carreras, or you have the ability to to cut teams open in your 22, or, or you can do something a bit different, or you can work a defence, and obviously that puts you more on edge as an opposition, where over the years, you know, we haven't been scoring enough tries. I think, we've been, well, we all probably think it'd be very easy to, to defend against, and it's nice to see that, you know, we can turn up away against good teams or even at home against good teams and, and score plenty of points. So um, once you sort out the other end in terms of not giving teams head starts, for example, then, you know, we could be fairly comfortable. Yeah, um, I think that there's kind of a, 
a 15-minute spell in the game, which um, certainly a lot changed on. It was two minutes before half-time when they got their yellow card and then we got a try. And then the five minutes after half-time and we were suddenly down to 13 men. And um, I have to say that Makepeace, the rather aptly named referee, I didn't think he had a great match in general. A few times he just seemed to be in the way. And there was a time when, to me, it was basically crossing. He got completely in the way of our tackler and it play on, obviously, because they never penalise themselves for getting in the way. But um, the first yellow card for De Chavez, um, De Chavez must be an extremely cynical and good actor, or it was just unfair. Um, for those that haven't seen it, he was tracking back from an offside position, which obviously happens all the time. And the scrum half took two steps, paused, and then threw the ball off him from about a yard away. And it wasn't like De Chavez changes running line or got in the way or slowed down or anything. He just got the ball thrown against him. He didn't stick out a hand or do a deliberate knock-on. And then the yellow card. And I guess they must have seen it as a deliberate way to disrupt an attack. But if I was going to disrupt an attack deliberately and get a yellow card, I can think of a much easier way of doing it. And that you just go into the back of a ruck and pick the ball out and hoof it away. But I don't know, it, it seemed a bit well, incredibly harsh. And then Stevenson shortly later, um, accidental headbang. I think a couple of years ago, you might have... Well, maybe a couple of years ago, you might have had a red card for it, but four or five years ago, it'd just been one of those things that happened. But it was wasn't malicious. It was just unfortunate, and it wasn't a it was a glancing blow as opposed to a thunk head on head. But um, yeah, I think I think had it been other players, other teams might have been a penalty. Um, Owen Farrell, perhaps um, down to thirteen men and. The floodgates opened. Yeah, well, I mean, you really feared, obviously, when I went down to 13. Uh, in terms of the, the Travers one in particular, um, oh, I only saw it, obviously, once once the highlights came out. And I was actually quite surprised at how undeliberate it looked because I was, I was at the Rugby League on Saturday afternoon and I was, you know, the, get the Twitter updates. And uh, it's from the Twitter update, it sounded like, oh, it must have been, yeah, it was absolutely deliberate, you know, sort of can't complain the yellow card. But then, like you say, when you watch it again, the Chavez is running in a straight line. He's clearly got his hands out of the way. He's trying to get back as, I don't know, maybe he was a bit slow in getting back, but there's, it doesn't appear from what, to be fair, few angles the highlights show that he was making any sort of deliberate attempt. It wasn't like he stuck his arm out or or bashed it away or batted it away or anything like that. Um, did seem very harsh, as you say. But Hampton Scrum Half, definitely a couple of seconds and they saw where he was. But, oh, hang on, we can get we can get something out of this. He just sort of threw it against him. Seemed very, very harsh. Um, same with the Stevenson one. I think that was probably by letter of the law more of a yellow card nowadays. That's just kind of unfortunately how it is. But yeah, absolutely no intent. But unfortunately, you know, it was... You know, Northampton very much took advantage and they just kind of had to stretch us a bit and score in the corner, which they did a couple of times. And I think at that point, you sort of thought, well, here we go. The game's sort of gone. What a shame because we seem to have, you know, really got back into it and kind of thrown it away almost. But thankfully, it didn't quite end like as badly as that. But I suppose we, we just did show some resilience to kind of come back from that 13 men down. And that, I think, was out of it the most pleasing thing. I've still got an issue with the the 13 men, and actually they're 14 men, in that, yes, decisions can go against you, but then you've got to play the game wisely. And when they were down to 14 men, we took an age kicking out conversion, and then you realise that their player came on relatively soon to the second half. And we need to be, when, when they're down to 14 men, you need to up the tempo and not hang around at restarts. And when, when there's a break, you need to really keep the game moving. And then when we had 13, that's the time when you need to think, well, if we get the ball in hand here, 
we're not giving it back to them and we're going to slow everything down as much as possible. When scrums happen when you're down to 14 or 13 men, you need to stand up a couple of times. Oh, sorry, sir, I lost my footing or oh, I wasn't ready. Safety, safety, all that sort of rubbish that front rows know what they're doing. But um, it was just simple things like the, the try just before we went back up to four. We, we were on 13 players and we hoofed the ball from about the halfway line right down the middle and it trickled under the post and went dead. So it was a scrum back on halfway. We had 13 players when we did it. Um, so even if it hadn't gone out of play, you suddenly given them the chance to run from deep when they've got 50 and you've got 13, i.e. they've got a numerical advantage. We had the ball in the middle of the pitch. Why on earth did we kick it away? And then we kicked it dead. Just hold on to it and waste as much time as possible. And lo and behold, from the scrum, we were back up to 14 men at that point, but we still continued a trice or, or two phases after it. And... That was purely because we didn't manage the game well. Although I would also say that Stevenson, if you um, bother to get your stopwatch out, he was off the pitch for more than 10 minutes and there was a break in play after his um, 10 minutes was up and he wasn't waved back on by the officials. So I don't quite know what they're doing. Anyway, we then move on to moment of the match, arguably moment of the season. Carrera asked the pocket rocket from Argentina. Wow. Well, I mean, you can do that every week as he seems to be doing that. Might be all right. Uh, yeah, I mean, out of absolutely nothing, wasn't it? Uh, but I think, like, when you watch it, you can obviously when you watch the highlights, you know what's going to happen. But I think even if you're watching that live, you know, if you watch the sport enough and you kind of see him beat one, beat two, beat the third one, he's still obviously got a hell of a long way to go. You think he's going to do this, you know, and you, you know, you know what he's capable of. And yeah, I mean, once he has to say beat the first two or three, that was it. No one was going to catch him. Uh, I know a couple of North Island players who had a bit of an attempt, but there was no no way. Uh, but just goes to show, doesn't it, that you know if we give these players the ball, then they can produce rabbits out of the hat. We've said this with Radwan for the past couple of years, and now Carreras could do it as well. But yeah, I mean, early days because who knows what you'll do next week. But gotta be trying the season or up there. Surely it's got to be. You can say if we give them the ball, they actually kicked it away to us. There, we didn't give it to them. But um, I think what's quite nice when you see Penny's tries, it's kind of. Obviously, a few Falcons fans there, but it was more or less you could hear a deathly pin drop. But it was quite nice with Carreras is that Northampton fans actually realised just what quite how good it was, and there was an audible smattering of applause on the um, coverage because it was that good. Oh, well, you actually had noticed that and it was actually quite nice. But one of you should probably just get his own award, wouldn't he? Because I'm not sure he could have a try of the season award if he wins. If he has a, a try every week, that could probably potentially be try of the season. He'll probably just get his own award, do you think? Let let other players have a chance and have their own try of the season award? I don't know, but there, there must be some records since try of the week started as to how many players have won it back to back to back to back. But anyway, and then obviously Wakoki Koki scored another very good try, actually. Um, doesn't get much mentioned because Carreras has um, outshone it. But um, out of nothing, really, he just skinned a couple of players and went in the corner. And before we know it, we're a point behind. Yeah, well, simple stuff, isn't it? You know, if you get a couple of phases going and you're in a bit of space. And again, we, we know what Koke Koke is a, a good player who can score plenty of tries. He has done in the past. So he, again, another one of these players who, if you give if you give him a good ball, he, he will do something with it. And it just goes to show that if we can kind of string moves together well, we can get a bit of space, we, we can very much punish teams. It goes back to what we are saying before about how we are actually scoring quite a few points. It's just the other end we kind of need to sort out a bit. But... Yeah, we are getting various players all over the pitch scoring points. Well, Koki is one of these players where when you've played rugby and you've it's much nicer to have them on your team than on the opposition's team, but they've just got this weird ability to always be able to slither through the first man or get around, get that extra couple of yards or half breakthrough. And I don't quite know what it is about these players and what they 
do, which means that they can do it. But time and again, they just get through a half gap that isn't really there, or they're obviously caught, caught by the second tackle quite often, but it only takes that one in the game and you've suddenly broken through. Obviously, you need to be the full package to start every week, but attack, he's certainly got it. Um, also, has to be noted, we lost by a point and we scored five tries. If we score five tries, that's potentially 35 points. We only actually ended up with 31, missed a couple of conversions and um, don't want to be pointing the finger too much, but there's certainly a game to be won there. Yeah, well, I mean, it's not the first time, has it, where there has been question marks over some of the kicking. Um, and like you say, it's hard in these sort of circumstances to really point blame um, because at the same time, you know, we gave away easy tries at one end, so you can't necessarily blame the kicker and the other. But, you know, there are times where we sh- where Conan should be kicking those points uh, and quite simply hasn't. And, and I don't think some of those misses were that awkward. You know, I think we should have been expecting him to get one of those two. And, of course, that would have won it. But, um, I mean, you say that for any team. Of course, Northampton missed kicks as well. So, I guess a lot of these things, it swings around about. But you do wonder if it could swing a bit more our way sometimes. Yeah, although I guess um can't can't apportion blame because had we got one of the two conversions we missed, we'd have only been a point ahead. And for the last 10 minutes, Northampton were heavily an hour half. So um they probably would have just taken a drop goal and also they had a penalty right in front of the post at the end, which they went for a scrum and they would have just knocked it over for three points. So it was not probably not appropriate or fair to, to point the finger too much. But um overall, if you'd gone into that game saying, Would you take two points away from Franklin's Gardens? You'd have said, Yes, please. So the circumstances, very odd ones, where you think, well, we probably should have won that or could have won that. Um, I don't think you're going to be too too sad about it had you not known what the match was like. Yeah, I mean, as I said before, you know, if I mean, you take a step back, then you look at the two points, and think, actually, that's pretty good. I mean, to be fair, Franklin's Garden has been quite a good hunting ground for us, actually, over recent years in the league. Um, often picking up quite a few wins down there. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's two extra points on the board, isn't it? And, you know, that's going to be probably pretty crucial over the next coming weeks. So uh, definitely a big game against Bath next in the league. So, uh, yeah, every point helps, doesn't it? And I think to getting two points has got to be a good result one way or the other. Yes, so as you mentioned, the next game against Bath, remember the, remember the 5th of November for not gunpowder treason plot, but the resumption of our premiership campaign because as we're going to... Oh, we may as well move on to it now. Wasps game is definitely off because they don't exist anymore. Yes, I mean, the news broke this afternoon that they have, the inevitable has happened, they have gone to administrations. No, no, saviour Mike Ashley bailing that out or anything like that. No, they, they have gone to administration, very likely have just gone the way of Worcester now. Um, certainly won't be taking part in the league anymore this season. We'll see if they will even be in the championship next season, similar to Worcester. Um but yeah, but that obviously means that there is a big gap between Premiership games, and we we do have the cup game with Leicester coming up this Wednesday. Um, however, between Northampton and the Saturday just gone, and Bath of November, there's no Premiership game, so uh, good few weeks to rest a lot of bodies there. Um, but uh, you know, the gap is what it is, and I suppose it's up to the coaches to kind of make the best use of that. I don't know if they'll organize sort of a you know interclub friendly or something to keep fitness up or whatever, because this is something obviously that we discussed with Matt Thompson, um, about potentially the year where we were due to play Worcester Wasps one week after the other, and that does leave a big gap. And uh, we're facing the same sort of similar situation here, so uh, yeah, be interested to see what the club does in terms. Of that gap, I'm not going to flog a dead horse, but Bill Sweeney, head of RFU, he needs to hang his head in shame. It just seems that they've not got a clue what to do. Like, what have they actually been doing for how long? We've been 
going on about this situation since the early year. And it seems to be a surprise. Now they're talking, or they seem to have jumped on board with Baxter's plan for a 10-team league. And if they haven't realised that 13 minus 2 equals 11. So they're, they're talking about proposals for 10-team leagues. So they're now going to suddenly say, oh, well, we're actually going to relegate someone in a year's time. Because they say, oh, it's not going to change until 2024, 25 or whatever it is. But um, does that mean that they're going to relegate someone in a year's time? Or they're just expecting other clubs to go bust? I know that names are getting thrown around, but it's not appropriate to necessarily say who they are because it just creates speculation and worry for people that may or may not be the actually the case. But what's the big idea? that It just seemed to be... Like, if anyone in a normal company who was at the helm, who behaved like that, the shareholders would give them the boot, wouldn't think twice about it, they'd be out. AGM or emergency meeting, right, what, what, what are you going to do about the fact that something entirely foreseeable has happened and you're not prepared for it? Well, you, you're thinking about a plan for something that hasn't, a 10-team league, there's not even 10 teams yet. Get out, get someone who's got an idea to run, how to run the organisation involved. And I know that Bill Street has issues with health and whatever, but it's not an excuse. He's either capable of the job or he's not. And if he's not capable, you'd have to have a, an HR process, which probably isn't very nice for anybody, or you get an understudy and he's actually running the show behind the scenes. Um, it, it's an absolute joke. And then you've got Eddie Jones now coming out saying, oh, well, we might need to centrally contract players, bloody, bloody, blah. And you just put your head in your hands and think, what on earth's going on here? It's just falling apart at the seams. Well, that's exactly, yeah. I mean, you wonder what RFU and Premiership Rugby have been doing the past 12 months. Because, I mean, we, we've been saying for absolutely months now, oh, there's, you know, there's a few we've heard things about what and there's rumors of this or that and then Worcester eventually and that sort of thing. And this was absolutely this is about a year ago. And and you know, either RFU and Premiership Rugby have just sort of put their heads in the sand, or they've known about it and deliberately not said anything, or uh, or possibly, I mean, probably the most unlikely one, but who knows? You know, this has suddenly all been a, a shock to them, or the extent of it has been a shock to them. And you've got to think, well, you know, if we if we were very much very aware of it, then what the hell have they been doing? And um, the 10 team leaving is absurd. I mean, it's, well, it's absurd at one end. I mean, it's just arrogant. At the other end, as you say, well, what happens to the 11th team? I mean, do they know something we don't in terms of, oh, there's definitely another team that's going to go to the wall, which will make 10? You know, what happens to teams, for example, like Ealing? Are they then banned from being promoted? Are they not allowed to replace the other teams? Um, you know, it's it's absolutely absurd. And the, the central contract is idea is, is ridiculous as well because you know country people they do have a central contract like obviously the, the Celtic nations uh they do in New Zealand I think they do in Australia as well you know obviously they have far fewer players and far fewer teams or franchises so it's more feasible to do that but in England we don't have that you know as we all know our league structure is very different and even with 10 premiership clubs that is a lot of players you have to centrally contract and how does that work in terms of the finance as well I think the only reasonable suggestion I've heard is what they do in France, you know, this talk of how, you know, they have to show each season, oh, here's our finances, this is how we're going to spend it. And they have sort of external auditors, which I think is probably the best way to do it going forward. But it's kind of, you know, <laughs> closing the, the door once the horse has bolted stuff, isn't it? Um, it's an absolute mess. And I think, yes, it is in a very difficult situation to deal with now, but the point is, it was very foreseeable and it was all in the sort of the public domain anyway. And it's the fact that it's just too little too late now. Well, it was only a couple of years ago that there's a big hoo-ha. Let's make it a 14-team league. And um, we're going to effectively ring fence it to 14 teams. And then they had this stupid entry criteria so that the, the actual 14th team couldn't actually get promoted. A lot of brain-dead idiots. Like, what's the point in them? I'm, I'm sure that a group of people that met up in a social club could run something more effectively than 
people in the ivory towers at Twickenham. It, it, it's just, uh, I, I, I'm not going to just go over it again because I'll just get angry and my blood pressure will rise. But seriously, what what is the point of these people? They should always be sacked. And I reckon a bunch of, yeah, go down to your, your local clubhouse after a match on a Saturday and the committee there to be more in tune with what's going on than the, the idiots in London. Anyway, um, if we move on to a particular idiot in London, Eddie Jones, he's not been such an idiot this time because although he's not picked Radwan, finally, 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 McGuigan's going to hopefully pull on the England jersey. He's already pulled it on for the photo shoot, but let's hopefully pulls it on for the national anthem and gets a few minutes. Yeah, well, who says Eddie doesn't pick on form? Certainly not us. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, as you say, finally, and uh, you know, whether he will play or not, I mean, God, let's hope he does. But I mean, uh, it's so well deserved, isn't it? I mean, he's been the best hooker in the country for a good couple of years now, and it's and you got to remember who he's playing for as well. The, the fact that he consistently puts in good, bad, good, at least good performances every week, and it's twice. Twice on record speaks for itself, doesn't it? I mean, it's a challenge, especially for a forward, really. Um, and if if he's doing that for us, you know, just imagine what he could do for England with. You know, best guess better players around him on paper at least anyway. Um, so yeah, finally, but it's it's like I say, so so well deserved and absolutely thrilled for him. Um, obviously, we I think would have liked more Falcons players in, but I don't think you can complain about the other omissions. I don't think the other sort of normal well, we'll call normal England selectors past over the past couple of years, selections rather, have been on top form, I think, so far this season. Um, I think out of our potential England players, McGuigan, once again, has c- carried on his form from the end of last season. So, yeah, so, so well deserved. And I- I'm confident he will get some game time. And I think once he gets his game time, you know, that's it. He will be England international. But, of course, whether he'll maintain being England international once they've secured him playing for England rather than Ireland, we'll, we'll have to see. Yeah, well, they have managed to keep Ben Youngs in the squad, but that's one for another day. Um, but, yeah, like you say, I'm absolutely delighted from him. He's well deserved. And, also, um, I, I really hope he starts because he is kind of the same style of player as Jamie George. And I think he's probably better than him on his day, actually. Um, so hopefully he's a, a like for like shifting. But it, it wouldn't surprise me if he, he plays um, Cowan Dickey for 78 minutes and gives McGuigan two minutes, gives him a cap, and then we never see McGuigan again. But I guess if that happens, then on a personal note, I'd be absolutely gutted for George McGuigan because how he does it, how he would only end up with a, a few. Autumn international appearance is not a prolonged run of Six Nations and hopefully into the World Cup. I, I wouldn't know, but it would mean that he then doesn't have the chance to play for Ireland. And that means that there's a lot of rumours about him potentially going to one of the provinces. I think Munster's been mentioned a couple of times in various bits of online stuff. And that would probably be off the cards. So if, if he gets his England cap, then I think hopefully Falcons have secured him for the rest of his career. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. I think also in terms of securing him for the Falcons is that I think if he is, you know, he starts for the Falcons every week. And if he's now getting international representation by playing for the Falcons, he probably thinks, well, I'm quite content here. There's no need, unless he wants to move on to, because he wants to challenge for bigger and better things, which I suppose you can't really blame any player. Um, then, you know, he probably thinks, well, I'm quite content here now. You know, I'm, I'm ticking all the boxes I want. I'm starting every week in the Premiership. I'm playing well. Presumably he likes it here. I'm playing for England. So that is very good for us. And it's a good advertisement for 
potential other potential signings, isn't it? Where you know, if you do perform well for us, you can you do get the opportunity to to play for England or even play for them regularly, and that's really all you can really want from a aspiring England international professional rugby player. Yeah, it has to be said actually that he has gone away and come back once. So would he do it again, or has he realised the grass isn't necessarily greener? He's quite happy with his life in Newcastle. Hopefully, the latter. Um, Mentioned the World Cup there. There's one other World Cup going on at the minute, and um, you've already mentioned the fact here at St James's Park for the opener at the weekend. But there's also matches going on at Kingston Park, so um, it's definitely worth getting down because obviously a bit of a gap in the Falcons' fixture list at the minute. So certainly get yourselves down and enjoy what you can. Yeah. So on Saturday afternoon, it was Italy upsetting the bookies and really annihilating Scotland actually um, Scotland sort of barely turned up um, and next weekend it should be quite a tasty match with Fiji and who look at and looking quite good Italy um, so yeah if you do fancy just watching a bit of rugby and just fancy going to Kingston Park and you know spending a few hours there watching some World Cup rugby then get yourself down it should be should be a cracker actually two pretty decent teams yeah I've only managed to get tickets one on the go to happens to be the semi-final. I think I've managed to line up the England semi-final if I'm lucky, but um, I haven't haven't followed it too much. But I know there's been a bit of criticism over St James's Park's handling of events. Um, you being on the ground there, what happened? Was it as much as it's been made out to be? Um, well, to be honest, we didn't really bother with the uh, opening ceremony, but when we got there, you could tell something wasn't quite right, and it's only we kind of found out for the people they did make an announcement about half time saying that had been some sort of power outage uh, I mean facilities and whatnot were still fine at the ground but in terms of the, the opening ceremony I think that was somewhat disrupted but uh, I think it took the match itself I don't think it made much difference um, they claimed that four, there were 44,000 or 43,000 there it looked a bit less than that I think uh, maybe 43,000 tickets sold but it didn't look that much but I mean to be fair St James's Park is what St James's Park is it's a we all know how it's a really good ground and it turns out to be a really good ground for rugby and I mean I guess for the opening game you would always like it to sell out but uh, a decent attendance for uh, seeing an absolutely annihilate Samoa, which again was really sort of upset the odds because I think Samoa were slight favourites for that. So that was, yes, yeah, so that was really a good turnout for England. And um, if you got an ear for accents, were the fans there, would you say rugby league fans that come up from Yorkshire and Lancashire, or were they locals that were just chancing it, or people that just fancied a day out at St James's Park for the, the Open Tournament? What, what would you say was the general demographic of people there? Well, sitting next to me, to my right, I had people from Teesside, so maybe not that exotic, but uh, it depends how far south you want to go for exotic. Though um, behind me were a couple of lads from New Zealand who had flown over for the World Cup. So it just goes to show, actually, that um, you know these events do do bring in business, do bring in tourism, do bring in all sorts of trade for, for, for the city and they are good for the city. Um, you know, whether those New Zealanders went to Kingston Park, they might have done the next, um, later on the afternoon. Well, sorry, on Sunday they may have done. I don't know, but it's, it's nice. And I think, and you see all the different sort of rugby league clubs, shirts and whatnot. So I think there was actually a decent mix of people, but, you know, you did see a smattering of Falcon shirts around as well. So I think it was all sorts. And I guess that, that's good to see and it's, it's good for the city. Yeah, and um, given the somewhat downscaling financially of the, the Thunder operation, then hopefully there is a bit of a knock-on effect and we'll get a bit more support for rugby league in the northeast because it's certainly good for the setup at Kingston Park. Right, so as we go into the results for the weekend, we'll start off with the Premiership. So on Friday night, Sale comp- com- uh, remained unbeaten with a 37 points to 14 victory over London Irish. On Saturday... 
Um, obviously, the extra Chiefs Wasps games didn't happen. Um, so Gloucester beat Bristol in a cracker, actually, 31 points to 28. We lost in a cracker, 32 points to 31. And Saracens beat Bath, 37 points to 31. So an average of 30 points a team in those games this afternoon. Um, who says that rugby isn't fun to watch anymore? Um, then, and then on Sunday, um, Harlequins got beaten by Leicester, 19 points to 27. So um, if we can move on to the league table, um, two teams have won all their games. Saracens in first with five bonus points on 25 points. And Sale have got four bonus points. They've got 24 um, Northampton have 18 in third position after playing six, whereas Gloucester in fourth have 16 points. Um, Leicester Tigers also have 16, as do Bristol, both of whom haven't played six games. Um, Exeter in seventh after playing four games of 14. Harlequins have 13. Wasps have eight, as do we. And London Irish have seven with Bath on six. So, Wasps, obviously, you can kind of discount them. So we are effectively ninth out of 11. And um, once again, Bath are ending up at the bottom of the table. Um, so let's see what happens there, because um, it's two years in a row. They've not been terribly good to terribly good uh, at the start of the year. Um, obviously, this season, the league tail is a bit of a funny one at this stage, where teams have played six and others have played four because of the odd number of teams and also clubs folding and going into administration. So it'll all sort itself out over the course of time. But the minutes pretty difficult to actually coherently look at the league table and work out what's going on. If we go to the, the regional roundup, um, in National League One, Darlington Mountain Park narrowly beaten by Rosslyn Park, Battle of the Parks, 28 points to 33. National League Two North, Bladen got quite heavily beaten by Sedgley Park, whereas Tyndale came out of victors down at Wharfdale. Within Regional One Northeast, as it's now known, um, Billingham and... Oh, Billingham beat... Driffield, whereas Annick went down to Sandal and got beaten. Regional 2 North is where it kind of becomes a lot more local, and there were victories for Espatri over Southfield Westo, Concert away at Durham City, Morpeth beat Middlesbrough, Northern beat Keswick, Penrith absolutely thrashed Stockton 63 0, and Percy Park beat Carlisle. In Durham and Northumberland Division 1, there were victories for Hartlepool Rovers over Darlington, Acklam at Portland Peter Lee, West Hartlepool at Medicals, Novos lost to Sunderland, and Pontyland beat Whitley Bay Rock. In Durham Northumberland 2, there was uh, a victory for Bishop Auckland away at Gateshead, Northfield beat Barnard Castle, Redcar beat Ashington, Wrighton got score of the week this week with their 78 points nil victory over Whitby. Um, there's a walkover for Seam against Walls End, and Sedgefield lost to Winlays and Vulcans. And then in Durham and Northumberland Division 3, you've got Gosforth beating Darlington, Mountain Park, Elizabethans, Wilton beating Blythe, Drovings got a walkover against West End, Prince Doxfield beat Seg Hill, and Seton Carew beat Yarm. Right, so that concludes proceedings. Um, once again, thank you for listening, everybody, and we'll speak to you after the match on the 5th of November. So for a couple of weeks or almost a month, cheerio. Bye, everyone.